Hey guys, my name's Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here at Seabreeze, and we're really glad that you've joined us today. Today we're going to wrap up our series, I Can Do That. And we've been looking at this series because in this season full of restrictions and all the things that we can't do, it's easy to overlook the good that we can do. And it's easy to look right past the opportunities that we have all around us to really make an impact. So we've been going through this series so that we um, don't do that, but we really make the most of this time and do the good that God has for us. Today we're going to turn our attention to a man named Stephen, and what we're going to see is that you and I can forgive like Stephen. Now, Stephen's uh, story can be found in the book of Acts, Acts chapters 6 through 8. The book of Acts is about the church getting started. You have, in the New Testament portion of the Bible, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, the story of the early church. And Stephen is famous for being the first Christian martyr, which means he was the first person to die for his faith in Jesus. So we're going to dive into his story. We're going to see his decision to forgive, and then we're going to see what made that possible and talk about for ourselves um, how we can make that decision in our lives as well. So his story, Stephen's story, takes place shortly after Jesus has come. Jesus came. He uh, died on the cross. He rose again, proving that he has the power to give life that death cannot defeat. And then after Jesus did that, he went back up to heaven, and then there's an event in church history referred to as Pentecost. And at Pentecost, Jesus has, um, just shortly after Jesus has ascended to heaven, there's this massive festival that the Jewish people would celebrate every year. And so people from all over the region, all different countries, have come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, and they're all there. And the apostles, Jesus' closest followers, were there in the city as well. And the Holy Spirit one day gave the apostles the ability to speak languages that were foreign to them. But even though they were foreign to the apostles, these languages were actually the native tongues of many of the people that had come to the city to celebrate this festival. So the apostles, they just start explaining in these different languages that Jesus is the Son of God and showing how the whole Bible points to who Jesus claimed to be and the reality about him. These people from all these different places are shocked. They're like, these, these men are speaking my language and explaining to me how God's been at work and who Jesus is. And so the church just starts to explode overnight, and thousands of people are starting to join the church. And then as the church is growing, as you might expect, really with anything that we get involved with, conflict pretty quickly erupts in this young, diverse, growing church. And the conflict, the disagreement, is around an accusation that one group of widows is getting preferential treatment over the rest of the widows in the group. So the leaders of the church hear about this, and this is what they decide to do in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. It says this, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So the leaders say, okay, we're going we're to get these seven guys, and they're going to serve the church by working towards peace in this situation and set up some organization that's really going to serve the church well. And Stephen was one of these seven men. So a few verses later, this is what it says. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. I'm pretty sure I butchered all those names from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. So Stephen, he is one of these seven men And he helps resolve conflict in the church and also puts in organization that will really help the church do ministry in a way that's equitable and really brings peace throughout the whole 
group, and they do a really good job of this. But through the process, Stephen, he starts to set himself apart. He does a really good job of kind of serving in the church, but then it turns out he's a really good communicator. He's also a really good defender of the faith. And so he would go out into these different settings where people had gathered to talk about religion and and have questions, and he would start to explain who Jesus was and how he's been at work. And so he's doing this kind of all over the city, and there's this group at that time who they hated Jesus. They hated Jesus' followers. They were opposed to them. They were opposed to Jesus' teachings, to who he claimed to be. And so when Stephen starts doing this, they take issue with Stephen. So they start spreading lies and rumors about Stephen, and then it kind of reaches a boiling point when one day Stephen's out and a mob grabs him and carries him before the Jewish uh, ruling council. And when he's before this ruling council, his accusers go first. They say, there's all these terrible things that he's done and he's said and these things that aren't true. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. It says, then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? So in response, Stephen he launches into this really helpful explanation of how God's been at work through history, and again and again he reveals himself to the people and instructs them how to live, but over and over this pattern emerges where the people reject God and reject God's message. And then the, his defense really reaches this climax when he says, that's exactly what's happened in our day. We've, the, the people standing before Stephen, the Jewish ruling council, they were the same people that had just put Jesus to death. And he points this out, and it says they started to grind their teeth. Inside, they just started to boil with anger. And then when he says that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, it reaches a tipping point. This is what it says in the story. It says, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They didn't even want to hear any more of what he had to say. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Now, what Stephen does next is really interesting. He doesn't deserve to be killed. He's brought before the ruling council. He's asked to give a defense. He gives his defense. He makes his case. They don't even try to argue with him. They don't examine the facts. They just, they hear it, and they're just overcome with anger, and they rush at him. Total mob mentality. He, he is being put to death unjustly. But he doesn't respond with anger or threats. You would think if they were angry with him and they were doing this to him, you would think that his last words would be, you know, you guys are going to get it, just wait and see, or you're doing this to me, it's going to be 10 times worse for you. You would think that he might respond with anger or some kind of threat, but he doesn't. What he says is really, really surprising. He says this in Acts seven fifty nine. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. This is amazing. He forgives them. And these, these people that are in the process of putting him to death, they're throwing stones at him to kill them. He asks God to forgive them, which is evident that in his own heart, he's already resolved, I've forgiven them. So he turns to God and he says, hey, God, I forgive them. Don't hold this against them. I mean, this is amazing. He's not, he's not the bystander in the crowd that's just watching this take place. He's not some random guy who's reading the newspaper the next day and hearing about this, he's the one having stones thrown at him. And still he says he makes the decision to forgive them. And this is amazing. And it begs the question, how in the world is a response like this possible? Because you've probably experienced this in your life. I know I've experienced it in mine, whether it's just kind of the everyday variety of wrongs that we all face or 
Maybe it's the really big stuff that it can derail our lives and leaves us with scars that are really hard to heal and come back from. Whatever it is, forgiveness is really, really hard. How in the world does Stephen make this decision in this moment? What allowed Stephen to forgive? Well, there's something that's said in the story that the author wants us to pay attention to, and it points to how Stephen was able to, in the moment, make this decision. Again and again, as you read the story, it's said in a few different ways, but there's emphasis added to something about Stephen's life. Again and again, it points to the fact that he's full of the Holy Spirit. And the author, Luke, the guy who wrote the book of Acts, it's obvious as you read the story that he really wants us to pay attention to this detail about Stephen's life. So we need to ask the question, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? And we're going to take a minute, and we're going to kind of explore that and see what that could look like. When a, what happens is when a person decides to follow Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, comes and takes permanent residence inside of them. God comes and lives inside of them, the Holy Spirit on the inside. And what the Holy Spirit does is he brings insight into what God wants. He gives motivation to behave rightly. He gives us the power to live differently. But just because somebody's made a decision to follow Jesus and they've received the Holy Spirit on the inside, it doesn't mean that their life is just smooth sailing and growth is easy for the rest of their life. Actually, what happens when the Holy Spirit moves in, we enter into a new struggle, an internal struggle that we've never experienced before. And the struggle is now between the Holy Spirit and the power of sin in our lives. And in this struggle of the Holy Spirit versus the power of sin, you and I individually, we play the deciding role in which side is going to have more influence in what we decide to do. So if we decide to live how we've always lived and approach life the way that we've always approached it with the same habits that we've always had or the same desires we've used to make decisions in the past, we're going to increasingly give power and influence to sin in our lives. The other side of it is if we decide not to do that, but instead we're going to take God seriously and his ways seriously, and we put that into practice, then we're giving influence and we're supporting the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our lives. So now because of the Holy Spirit, there's this kind of this back and forth of, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to, are we going to go with the power of sin or are we going to live in a way that gives the Holy Spirit more influence in our lives. The Greek word that's used when it says that he's full of the Holy Spirit, the Greek word can be used to describe a ship that has a competent crew. What a, what a, what a crew does on a ship that's out in the ocean is when, when the crew's there and they know how to work the, the boat, the boat doesn't just go wherever it wants to go. It goes where the ships lead it or where the crew leads the ship. So the idea of being full of the Holy Spirit is actually the same as being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So we enter into this, the Holy Spirit enters in on the inside, we enter into this internal struggle, and we, again, we play the deciding role on, are we going to do life the way that we've always done it, or are we going to choose God's ways? And over time, the Holy Spirit is going to gain more influence and more control in our lives. And what this means is, is, all, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. That's automatic when you decide to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves in permanently on the inside. 
But not all Christians experience the same level of influence from the Holy Spirit. That's the term determined by whether or not they decide, I'm just going to go along with my desires and I'm not going to change my habits, or I'm, I'm really going to take God seriously and I'm going to live the way that he instructs. So as soon as he moves in on the inside, change is not automatic. He can bring tremendous change, but it's not automatic. We've now entered into a continuous, lifelong, over and over again situation where we have to decide, okay, am I going to do what I've always done and just kind of go with my desires and my habits, or am I going to choose something different and choose to take God seriously? And what we decide to do will determine how much influence and control the Holy Spirit has in our lives. Now, here's how this applies to forgiveness. And this is really important when it comes to forgiveness. Because if you've ever tried to forgive, you know how hard it is. And it could just feel impossible. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe somebody's wronged you and you've thought about it. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I don't even want to. So we just, we avoid or we ignore the other person and just try to, try to you know, not have to deal with it by getting away from the other person. Or maybe we've said, okay, well, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to forgive. So we say, I forgive you, but then it's almost as soon as we say, I forgive you, then it's, we have an opportunity to say something about them or rehearse all the wrongs that they've done, and we just kind of replay it over and over again in our minds. And so if you've, if you've ever even contemplated or tried to forgive somebody, you know how hard this is. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and the help that he gives us. Not long ago, I was staying with um, my in-laws, and we're at their house, and my father-in-law likes to cycle and go out and ride bikes a lot. And so I'm not, I, I don't ride my bike very much, um, but this one time we were staying there, I'd just done a running race, and so I was in pretty good shape, and so we went out for a ride. And we're on this path, and we're going along, and it's about midway through, and we hit some hills, and it's, it was pretty narrow. So we were all kind of single file, and I was in the back, and we're, you know, we're making our way up the hills, and I thought we were, we were doing pretty good. And suddenly, this cyclist shows up right on my back tire. And so I'm, you know, I'm pedaling, trying to go fast, and we're making this climb, and this guy is just right behind me, and he's, he just paces me up this hill. And he came up on me so fast, and I, I knew, okay, this guy's, this guy's pretty impressive. This guy's a really strong cyclist. So we hit the next hill, and you know, I haven't looked back yet, but we start to climb, and I'm standing up, and I'm pedaling hard and huffing and puffing, and everybody on the hill is kind of doing the same thing, putting out max effort to make it up this thing. And I turn around, and I'm expecting to see, like, a professional cyclist. But I turn around as I'm standing up to pedal, and I don't see a professional cyclist. I see a pretty average-looking guy. Um, he's not standing up like the rest of us. He's sitting down. The rest of us are breathing heavy and really putting out effort. I, I think he was barely breathing. Um, he looked pretty relaxed. He was barely pedaling. And that's when I realized he's on an electric bike. That's cheating. We're all here, you know, max effort. And this guy, is, he's barely even trying. And not only is he pacing us, but then at the top of the hill, you know, we're all just like breathing heavy and our muscles are hurting. And he just kind of pulls out and just zooms right past us. Actually, that's really similar to the impact the Holy Spirit has on our lives. He gives us an extra motor. We're able to do things that previously they were impossible. When it comes to forgiveness, if you try to just kind of muscle your way through it, if you rely on your ability or your strength, you're going to run out of steam. You're going to learn pretty quickly this hill of forgiving 
this hill is too long and too steep for me to ever make it to the other side. But that's where the Holy Spirit enters in. When you have that Holy Spirit power assist, not only are you able to forgive, but then you're able to sustain the decision and get past it and move on. A verse I want to show you is Galatians 5, verses 22 through 24. It talks about the change that the Holy Spirit brings in our lives. This is what it says. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and the fruit meaning this is over time as you take him seriously, you choose God's ways. This is change he brings into your lives. The fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What it's saying is, now that we've got the Holy Spirit on the inside, let's do what he wants us to do so we can experience all the benefit of having him. So just think about this in terms of forgiveness. I mean, being a person who creates peace instead of looking for a fight, that's really important if you're going to forgive. Having forbearance or having patience to give time to God to work and for the other person to decide to change, that's really important. Gentle words in the moment instead of responding with anger or harshness, oftentimes that'll, you know, if you respond one way, you're just going to exasperate things. But if you respond another way, you can really bring calmness and peace to the situation. Self-control to not sin in response to what they might have just done to you. These are all so important. These are things that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives as we take him seriously and we learn how to walk with him. Again and again, this change, this help, this help that we need comes as a result of learning how to do life God's way and learning how to rely on the help the Holy Spirit gives. If we're going to forgive like Stephen, just like Stephen was a man who's referred to as being full of the Holy Spirit, if we're going to forgive like Stephen, we've got to learn how to take God seriously and rely on the help that the Holy Spirit gives. So I want to ask another question. How do you position yourself to get that kind of help? How do you position yourself to get the kind of help from the Holy Spirit just like Stephen got, the kind of help that will allow you to forgive and then sustain that decision? Well, four resources, the Bible points out, four resources that will help us kind of attach ourselves, connect to the power that the Holy Spirit gives. The first one is prayer. Prayer is, it's talking to God. We can talk to God about anything. We can, we can praise God. We can confess sin. We can thank him for what he's done. We can tell him what we need and what we need help with. We can ask him to be at work in the lives of other people. Prayer is us talking to God. Actually, in Stephen's story, it's interesting that his last words are words of prayer. Again, he says this, Acts 7, 59 and 60. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried, Lord, don't hold this against him. Stephen was a man that he, he knew the importance of prayer, and he took advantage of that resource. And what this means is, not only can you know, we pray in advance, which is really important and really helpful, praying that, God, would you, would you help me with wisdom? Would you help me know how to talk to this and relate to this other person? Would you give me the strength to make the decision to forgive? We can do all that in advance. But this also means, just like Stephen, in the moment, when the person who sinned against us or has wronged us is standing in front of us, in that moment, we can say, God, I need your help right now. I need your help to choose to forgive. So the first resource is prayer. second resource is reading the Bible. The Bible is, it's God's word to us. It tells us how God wants us to live it corrects us when we get off track. It tells us how to get back on course. And the Bible is full of 
information and material on how to forgive. It tells us what forgiveness is. It tells us what forgiveness isn't. It tells us what to say, what not to say, when to go talk to the other person, when to not go talk to the other person. It tells us how to talk about it after the fact that we've made the decision to forgive. It talks about different boundaries that we can put in place in different situations. The Bible is chock full of wisdom on how to forgive. And so if we want to learn, okay, I want to take God's way seriously, well, then we need to go and get specific. Okay, so what does God say about this? As we learn that and then we choose to do it, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he, he helps us in those decisions. A third resource is encouraging relationships. Usually when we think of the word encouragement, we think of a pat on the back. But to encourage means to put courage in. And something that we all need is we all need relationships with other people who help us have the courage to choose to do what God wants us to do. I can't tell you how many times in my life God has used somebody who is, who is wiser than me or somebody who has influence in my life to help me see what I need to do in a given situation. Maybe it's, maybe it's a situation where I've been wronged and the other person really gives me some wisdom on how I can forgive and how I should relate to the person who's wronged me. Or there's times where I'm the one in the wrong. And an encouraging relationship, God uses an encouraging relationship, a friend to say, hey, Elliot, you were in the wrong there. You need to go and you need to clear that up. You need to go and ask for forgiveness. Again and again and again, this is one of the resources that God's going to use. A fourth one, fourth resource, is serving others. Serving as we, as we give our time, as we give money, emotional energy, to value others and participate in what God's doing, what God does in response to that is he actually gives back to us. It's interesting that in Stephen's story, the first mention of Stephen is in relation to a need in the church, and he's one of the men who steps up to meet this need. Stephen was serving. This is kind of the context we're introduced to him in. And I, I know for me, when I'm not serving, I often become self-absorbed and me-focused. And it's really hard to forgive when it's all about me. But when I decide that I'm going to serve and I'm going to put others first and I'm going to participate in what God what God says is valuable, and I'm going to put my time and my energy and my resources to that, what I find is God starts to change my heart, and he really changes my heart towards other people, and there's a ton of joy that comes through doing that. There's great benefit to choosing to serve. So when you add kind of these four resources up, these ways that we can experience more power of the Holy Spirit, here's kind of how this works. You could think of these four resources as the spokes of a wheel. As you spend time talking to God in prayer, that's kind of one of the vertical spokes, as you read the Bible and discover what God wants you to do and choose to act on it, as you build encouraging relationships with people who can encourage you to take God seriously, as you spend time serving, as you do those over time, what happens is the wheel starts to move, and as the wheel gets moving, you're going to start to experience more and more help from the Holy Spirit. You're going to, just like that electric bike, there's there's another motor. It's not just you and your ability, but now you're experiencing that Holy Spirit power assist that'll help you do things that previously you weren't able to do. We, we do have to balance the bike. I mean, just because you're on an electric bike doesn't mean that you don't have to balance. It doesn't mean you don't have to pedal. But the main engine is not you. 
It's the bike. It's the same way when it comes to learning how to do what pleases the Holy Spirit and receiving his help. We realize over time as we do these things, it's not us, but he's the one who's really giving us the ability to choose forgiveness, to choose to treat people the way that they're supposed to be treated. Because forgiveness, again, on our own, it is so difficult, and it seems impossible. But Stephen was able to forgive because he was a man who he took God seriously, and again and again he chose to do what he said to do, and the influence of the Holy Spirit grew in his life. And the same thing can happen in our lives. And if we want that to happen, what we've got to do is get on the bike, get the wheel moving, participate in these things, do these things over and over again, and we're going to experience more and more of the power that the Holy Spirit can bring. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that in your plan to save us and grow us, you didn't just give us information, but you gave us built-in help in the, in the form of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for that. I thank you for not leaving us on our own, but coming to live inside of us. God, I pray that you would help us to learn how to do this, how to not rely on our power and our knowledge and our abilities, but to really rely on the help that the Holy Spirit gives So I pray that this wheel illustration, we would take this, we would put it into practice, we get more and more help, and when it comes to the challenge of forgiving, we would be people who forgive like Stephen. In Jesus' name, amen.